When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Space News Pod, a daily podcast about space, science, and tech. I'm your host, Will Walden. And in this episode, well, this is a live episode. So we go over a lot of topics. It's about an hour long. It's pretty long, but we go over a lot of topics. So you'll have plenty of time in the car to listen to some SpaceX news, some moon news, some stuff about Mars, planetary exploration. And at the end, we do kind of a Q&A. It's kind of like an astronomy Q&A. What happens when the Earth stops spinning? When it just stops, what happens? Uh, something along those lines, you know, on every one of these live episodes. So if you want to check out the actual live show, you can search for Space News Live on any podcast platform. And it says Space News Live by Will Walden. That's the title of it. So if you would like to listen to longer episodes, please let me know on social media at Space News Pod. That would be very, very cool. So thank you so much for all of your help along the way. And here is the latest live episode of the Space News. Hello, everybody. This is Will Walden from the Space News live podcast. Okay, so what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to go over some normal space stuff. Right, we're going to go over some space news for the day of what is today? June 16th, Sunday. It's Father's Day in the United States, everybody. So go tell your dad if you actually like him, that you like him, that he's cool. So it's just, we're just chilling, man. All right. So let's get started here. Valentina Tereshkova, a Russian woman, was the first woman to go to space and orbit the earth. She orbited the earth 48 times. It happened today. She's a retired cosmonaut, an engineer, and a current member of the Russian State Duma. She is the first and youngest woman to have flown in space with a solo mission on the Vost Vostok, Vostok 6 on June 16th of 1963. She became the first civilian to fly in space, and she was one uh, was only honorarily inducted into the Soviet Air Force in order to join the Cosmonaut Corps. So she's like pretty important as far as the uh, evolution of space exploration goes. And she was born in March, 1937, 1937. Think about how long ago that was. We're almost there again. We're almost a hundred years from then. 
when she was born. 1963 is when she went up on her solo mission. So that's pretty cool. That's something that's happening today. We got Father's Day going on. I don't even know. Um, I give my dad a card, you know, stuff like that. Going to hang out with them. We're probably going to do a little party and stuff. Uh, but if, you know, if your dad's into space, make sure to let him know about cool stuff like that that just happened. Okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to check this out. Somebody asked me yesterday about Chernobyl, the show, right? And I haven't watched it yet, but I did start watching it last night. And that show is nuts. I got through about half of the first episode. And I was like, just from that alone, I was like, this is horrible. (laughs) This is a horrible thing to happen to people. Like not, not that it's a horrible show. It's a great show but it's a horrible thing. And I'm like, I like positive things. I like happy things and I like to enjoy myself. So watching this, I was just like, dude, this took me to like, this is like a dark show, man. People are dying left and right. People are getting radiation poisoning from like picking up a rock, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, Oh damn, this is how it really was though. So the radiation poisoning for these people and you know, people died. A lot of people died and, it wasn't, you know, you weren't able to go visit the site for a very long time or you would, you know, you die from radiation poisoning. Now, Instagram models recently have been posting up pictures of them at the Chernobyl site because Chernobyl's so popular. Of course, you got to go to the places that are popular because you want to make that Instagram money, right? So basically, like, it's kind of, it's insane. It's insane that we created something like that the human beings created nuclear power and we weren't able to harness it in a safe manner. I guess now, you know, now it's much safer, but you know, it's, it was a new technology back then. So of course there's going to be things that go wrong with it, but unfortunately people had to die, you know, in order to get to a place where we could actually have energy uh, that's sustainable and also, uh, safer than it was then. So I'm going to go to this too. NASA wants to build a sunshade. So they want to, what basically what this thing is, it's, um, it's a, it's basically like a sunshade that you would use on your patio or something. So if you're out on a hot summer day, the sun is beating down on you and the sunshade, you know, you put up your umbrella, you're at this beach or whatever, put up your umbrella, the sun gets blocked. Basically there's satellites and there's telescopes, space telescopes that get glare to put it very, very briefly get glare from uh, the sun. So NASA is experimenting with sunshades. So it would be a space telescope in a separate spacecraft that fly about uh, in the separate craft flies about 25,000 miles ahead of it. And the probe would be equipped with a large flat petal shaped 
designed to block starlight, potentially allowing the telescope to image orbiting worlds as small as Earth that would otherwise be lost in the glare. And there's a reason that this is pretty important because we want to see all these exoplanets. We want to see as far as we can. And if anything interferes, uh, like starlight, even like a little bit of starlight from not just from the sun, but from other stars out there because stars are bright. You know, if you, if you look up in the night sky, so think about this for a second, you're looking up at the night sky and there's lights all around you, street lights, um, you know, from businesses, from other people's houses, and you can't see as many things as you want to see because all the light drowns out the stars. That's basically what's happening up here. All the other starlight is drowning out what these telescopes want to look at. Also, the sun is doing the same thing because the sun, of course, is bright and uh, these shades will incorporate into the uh, satellite. So NASA is working on that. So let's get a little bit of uh, a little bit more information. If the star shade were scaled down to the size of a drink coaster, the telescope would be the size of a pencil eraser. They'd be separated by about 60 miles. So they're very far apart. Now imagine these two objects are free floating in space. They're both experiencing these little tugs and nudges from gravity and other forces. And over that distance, we're trying to keep them both precisely aligned to within about two millimeters. So if we shrank them down to about the size of a cup, you know, the bottom of a cup, the drink coaster, the telescope would be the size of a pencil eraser and the shade would be the size of that cup. But two millimeters. And this is, this is like the full size of full size things, the space telescope and the, the star shade. They have to be within two millimeters of each other in space at all times, or they're not, it's not going to work. They're not going to be able to get the things that they need to get done. They don't be able to get the images that they want. So they have to have a way. Hey, thanks Andrew for that follow. Appreciate it. Um, they have to have a way to keep these things in line. Right? So, um, so Jim Bridenstine, he's the administrator of NASA said that slight alignment failures could be detected by a camera inside the space telescope and small amounts of starlight will always leak around the star shade, forming a light and dark pattern on the scope and the camera would pick up misalignments by reorganizing or recognizing when the light and dark panel was off center. We could sense a change in the position of the star shade down to an inch, even over the huge distances. So they're going to have to have a way to realign the telescope with the shade because the shade itself probably from what I've seen so far, won't have a lot of thrusting capability because it's a, it's a star shade. So they don't really, I don't think they're really going to need much as far as an engine goes to move this thing around. Uh, but the telescope itself, that needs to be moved around and it'll position itself on the star shade once it goes out of alignment or once it starts to go out of alignment, I should say. 
right. So that is that is that so far. Um, so, and here's the report. Hold on, let me send you a link to the report. Here's the report. There we go. And let me get over to you guys on livecast. There we go. So thank you so much for everybody who's joining this podcast today. This is kind of a, it's going to be a quick one. I'm going to do probably like a, you know, 20 minutes or so. I usually do about 40 minutes, but a 20 minute one is going to be pretty decent for today. I have a lot of stuff to do. Family things. Going to hang out with the old fam. Uh, all my nieces and nephews, my sisters, everybody, and everybody's coming down today. So we're going to hang out, do some fun stuff. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do. We were going to barbecue, but it's raining. So that's not going to happen. Um, we can definitely, definitely eat some food though. <laughs> that's, that's my plan today. I'm just going to get freaking, going to blast myself with a bunch of really great food today. That's my plan. And then tonight, if it clears up, I'm actually in the market. I don't know how many of you uh, people out there have telescopes, but I'm actually in the market for a new telescope. And I want between like a six inch and 10 inch, right? So a six inch would be pretty portable. I want a six inch because I can throw in the back of my car and I can take it to spots and I can go do some viewing. A 10 inch would be really nice because you get to see some really cool stuff. Now, if I were to get the 10-inch, though, it's pretty big, it's pretty hefty, and it's hard to move around. I'd have to store it up some stairs and lug it up those stairs every time. And usually with a 10-inch, it has a really hefty build to it. You know, they're not made out of light materials. Hey, Andrew, thank you for those likes. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm sort of in the in the in-between stages of, okay, how much do I need to spend and how much is it going to be costly to me as somebody who's going to be driving this thing out into the middle of nowhere? You know, like what's the, what's the cost? And like, basically it's like, uh, how, how much stuff do I have to lug around? <laughs> you know, and I, I have a dark sky site about 40 minutes South of me in Cherry Springs, Pennsylvania. So if you get a chance, check that out. That's really cool. Let me send you a link, actually. Cherry Springs State Park. Very cool. Very cool spot. And that's a dark sky night or a star, dark sky site. I have no idea why I can't talk today. This is the first like actual talking I'm doing today. I haven't really interacted with many people yet. So you got to. You got to bear with me here. So Cherry Springs is an amazing place. They have um, astronomy domes that you can rent out every night you go out there. And if you go to the site, it's absolutely pitch black at night. Absolutely no light comes into that spot from anywhere around. It's in the middle of a freaking forest on top of a mountain. It's a plateau. Do we need to invest in space tech considering we have poverty down here? I believe so. Uh, I'm a big proponent of expanding human uh, ingenuity, Matthew. And I think that 
if we create technologies that will better humanity as a whole, I think that's going to help. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you take from Peter to give to Paul kind of thing. So you take the stuff from the space industry and you give it to people who are starving. Or do you take that money from military and you give it to the people that are starving? And you can make an argument either way. Do, you know, do you take the might out of the country? Do you take the, the uh, Air Force away? Do you take the Army away? Do you take the billions and billions of dollars from the military and give it to NASA so we can invest in the future? Or do we fight more wars, which also make money? Or do we leave it up to the citizens to feed people that are impoverished and, you know, well below the uh, poverty line? It's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I do believe we should still be researching technology. It gives people a lot of jobs. It brings in a lot of money. Uh, millions and millions of do- billions of dollars a year go into the space industry. Uh, launching satellites, you know, rockets, things like that. Lots of people are employed. Oh, the Indian research. Oh, that's awesome. I think uh, India is doing really great stuff. Um. They have a moon lander coming up in the, what is it, September 6th, I believe it's going to land this year. I think that's when it is. September 6th, they're going to be landing. I believe they're going to be landing a, a lander and a rover on the moon. So I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. Any new country that wants to get into the space race, the new space race, is being hyped as like the, the biggest technological boom that's going to be happening in the next 50 years or so we're going back to the moon of course that's what nasa is doing uh and all these other countries are kind of following suit because they want to be part of this new big thing now if there are other countries that want to get into it and have the money to do it like india you know that's great but if we get private companies to get into the new space race that's even better because they can innovate faster than governments can you know, if they have the money to do it, somebody like SpaceX, you know, they were, they had an idea. They were like, okay, so what's this niche we got to fill? Oh, we don't want to waste all these stupid rockets in the middle of the stupid ocean. So why don't we just land them on land and reuse them? You know, it's just, it's a dumb concept from uh, years gone by. Like, what are we going to do with these rockets? Why can't we land them? Of course we can land them. There's the technology out there. We have GPS. We have, um, hold on a second. There, I had to turn off that air conditioner. It was blowing really, really cold. Um, so we have all these technologies that'll push uh, space-faring civilization forward, uh, but it's not going to be done solely by the governments. And it never really was. You know, like the government had ideas. You know, NASA had ideas for what's going to be cool. If we have a space war, oh, the Space Force, man, the new Space Force, the Trump Space Force is going to be in charge of a space war. Right. That's what I'm thinking. That's why this whole thing is kind of a kind of a new a new uh, 
a new branch of the military. So we have the Air Force. We have parts of the Air Force that are already doing space stuff, that are already doing space defense. And we have satellites, U.S. Air Force satellites everywhere, Department of Defense satellites everywhere, spying on everyone. That's part of it. So the Space Force is basically taking those things and putting them under one umbrella so they're not fragmented into different, um, you know, Air Force, Army, Marines, Department of Defense, um, you know, those kind of things. So it's all going to be in one conjoined place, which is, you know, for me, I understand we have to defend ourselves. We have to make sure that everything is going to be good in the end, you know, and we have to make sure that nobody attacks us as the U.S. Um, But I also don't like that we have weapons in space. Definitely some type of space war doing some type of military exercises in space. I agree. And I think that's the sort of like the next frontier, right? So we've had thousands of years of war on the planet. You take those wars off planet, which are going to be fought with robots in space. They're not going to be fought with humans because we're getting artificial intelligence to the point where they can actually, you know, figure out what's going on. This will probably be in the next 50 years. I think there's going to be some, some tensions building. Uh, oh, But, you know, you can't have it because we planted the flag here. Like old school with boats, we'll take that to the next level. We'll use spaceships. Sort of like what we did in the old space race. We planted our American flag on the moon, which is now white, by the way, because the sun's radiation bleached it white. There's no more color on the American flags on the moon. So they're peaceful flags now which is even better. If a country uh, stepped on Mars, can they claim it as part of their country? I don't believe so, but I don't think there's any actual rules to that. You know, who's going to enforce that? What's going to happen? You know, who's going to, who's going to contest that? There are sort of rules. You know, there's space treaties where you can't, a country can't claim certain things, but, there's also space uh, treaties that say if you're a private organization and you grab a asteroid, you can use the asteroid for whatever you want. Like it's yours. You got it. Go mine that asteroid and do whatever you want with it. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a gray area and they're actually reworking that and they'll have more, uh, have more information on that a little bit later, because I believe that when we actually do the uh, we'll actually do the uh, you know exploration of other planets. We'll get to a point where where it's gonna need we're gonna need that. We're going to need some legislation that says okay. So if you plant your flag on Venus, which I don't know why you would, but if you go, if you go to Venus and plant your flag, which would you know would melt, but 
if that's the case and you want Venus, uh, we're going to have to figure out exactly what that actually means. So when terraforming a reality or fiction, um, right now it's just fiction. Right now we can't even take care of our own planet. So I don't believe that we can terraform Mars anytime soon. We don't have the technology to do it because it is a huge, huge operation. And we're not even sure exactly how we would do it. Would we nuke the poles and release all the gases into the atmosphere? And then what would happen? You know, what those gases would dissipate, you know, throughout the atmosphere, create a new atmosphere, I should say. Um, so I don't think we have the technology quite yet. I think it's, I think we have to worry about this planet first. I think that's where we should focus on personally. Now, if we thank you, uh, Matthew, for that follow, I appreciate it. And, uh, one Hunter, thanks for that follow. See, I don't get any notifications. Uh, it's hard for me to see the notifications because I see when people join and stuff. So if I don't call you out when you follow, um, just, uh, I'll get to you. I promise. But thank you for those follows. I do appreciate them. Now, that being said, if we can terraform Mars, it will be um, it'll be species changing. It'll be world changing, of course, because we're changing all of Mars. But also, it'll change all of humanity if we can get to the point where we can even get a small fraction of Mars. Uh, available for humankind just to like you just land your rocket and then you just walk out and you're like okay cool i'm on mars now and i'm gonna breathe this atmosphere and i'm fine and i can grow food here that's a major thing because when we go up to mars what are we how are we going to do this right we have to build habitats we have to build a place to live and we don't know how to do that yet we're we sort of kind of have an idea right we sort of kind of have an idea. We know we can build structures, but are we going to 3D print them? Are we going to use materials that are readily available on Mars? And when are we going to start doing those experiments? When are we going to start doing experiments on other heavenly bodies where we take the actual ingredients from that planet to make habitats for humans? We're going to start doing that on the moon once we start landing people on it, we're actually going to get rovers up there sooner. 2020, uh, we're going to start putting more rovers on the moon uh, from the U.S. And in 2024, we'll have humans back on the moon. So if we have humans on the moon in 2024, they're just going to land. They're going to hang out. You know, they're not going to do a lot of stuff up there. The first landing again, I took off my sweater. Now it's hot. Before it was too cold. Now it's too hot. Um and so we we have to make habitats for these people that are going to be landing there after the first people that go back. Uh, the next person to land on the moon is going to be a woman. The next person to step on the face of the moon is going to be a woman. And then a man. Um, so those people are going to just do basic stuff. You know, we're going to go back there. We're going to do some science, of course. We're going to grab some stuff and bring it back down to Earth so we can study it. Because the, all the samples that we have are old. We need newer samples to make sure that it's okay to live up there. Um, so we're going to get to the point where people 
will be, you know, living and working and doing all sorts of fun stuff on the moon. Yeah. Why are we focusing on Mars? We have, we don't even know how to live on the moon yet. You know, we've been up there, we've done a bunch of, and I, I don't want to downplay anything, you know, from what the, the moon explorers have done, but it's kind of like parlor tricks at this point. You know, we've, they've done a bunch of work. They've done a bunch of uh, PR for NASA. That's what it seems like, right? So we remember the moon landings. We, we have the history of the moon landings, but when you, and don't get me wrong, it did translate into a lot of really great stuff, really great technologies. The cell phones that we use today are because of uh, our landings on the moon and other space exploration. But you look back at it now and you think, hey, what do we actually get out of it? Um, why aren't we up there still? Aren't we supposed to be up there? Yeah, we're supposed to be up there all the time. Supposed to be doing cool stuff on the moon. We're supposed to, you know, the idea of moon landings was to inspire people. And not just inspire people, but have people follow this dream of living and working off planet. And we haven't followed up on that as a society. We haven't followed up on people living off planet, working off planet, other than the ISS, of course. So getting to a point where we can actually live on another planet, you know, the rocky world of the moon, that's where we have to start build up that stuff. And then from the moon, use that technology that we have on the moon, that we built our society, another society, human society on the moon, where we work and we play and we build and we eat and we drink. Then we have to take it from there. We take all those resources, all that technology, all that knowledge, and we use it to send people to Mars and we're going to fast track it. You know, it's an exploration thing. It's dangerous. It's super dangerous. So if we want to go back to Mars by the 2030s, we got to get to the moon as soon as possible so we can get that technology nailed down because the Mars explorers are going to be in some deep crap. If they go there without any knowledge, without any way for them to build a house with the things that you need, Shelter, water, food. Those are the things, the basic needs of a human, shelter, water, and food. So if you go to Mars and you don't know how to do any of those things yet, you are screwed. <laughs> you're, you're dead in the water, you know? So we got to nail it down. And there's companies, you know, that are out there right now that are building modules for uh, space stations around the moon, which will in turn build uh, space stations around Mars where there will be an escape plan. You know, we have to have that. We have to have an escape plan for our explorers to go to Mars. We have to have a Mars base set up in orbit, like a little space station, even if it's just a tin can where they can get off world. If something happens, say if there's like a giant dust storm and they're like, Oh man, I got to like, I, we're all going to die. Right. So what do we got to do? We got to jettison off the planet. We got to go to this space station for the time being. And then we can get picked up in, whatever, six months or you know, however, whatever time they have left. So 
does an event like gravity movie could really happen? Um, I think it could. There's a lot of space though. If you think about it, there's a lot of space in space. It's a lot of room for stuff to, to move around up there. But I think there's, there's some stuff that could happen. There's some horrible things that could happen. Some space debris, you know, micrometeors, micro asteroids, uh, debris from other satellites, debris from other space stations that could just destroy everything that's out there because it's very fragile. Have you checked out MagellanTV.com yet? It's really cool. There's a lot of really awesome space documentaries on there. If you go to MagellanTV.com slash space news pod, you can get two months for free. And there are a lot of HD amazing docs about the solar system um, black holes. Actually, you know, I am watching this thing called birth of a black hole. It is terrifying. So if you get terrified by space, like I do go check it out and you get two months for free. You can watch it on anything, anywhere, anytime. So your TV, your laptop, your computer, your phone, your tablet, anything. And it's on Roku, Amazon, fire TV, Apple play, Google play, iOS, and if you go to MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod, you can get two months for free. You know, it's not easy to uh, to build stuff in space. So, you know, there's, there's lots of ways that things can go wrong, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And if something does go wrong and you're, you know, 600 miles away from something else. Is there a chance that a little piece of your spacecraft, if it blew up, get another spacecraft and it just goes to crap and everything gets ripped to shreds. There's a chance, but there's so much room in between things and you can see, hold on, let me show you. There's like a real time. Where you can track all the satellites. There we go. And it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's pretty cool. I, I just came upon this uh, article right now, actually, when I was searching for that. Bigelow Space wants to launch you into orbit with SpaceX for $52 million. Bigelow Space Operations plans to take advantage of the increased commercialization of the International Space Station. The Nevada-based company just announced that it has reserved up to four flights to the ISS aboard SpaceX's Drew, or a Crew Dragon capsule. Bigelow uh, intends to charge about $52 million per seat on these initial missions, which will last one to two months and carry up to four people apiece. So $52 million to reserve your seat to the International Space Station. Hmm. That's pretty cool. What do you think? Would you, if you had an extra $52 million, would you launch yourself up to the international space station? That's pretty interesting. Just for fun, just for funsies. <laughs> like, Hey, uh, I'm bored this weekend. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go to target and stand in line with everybody else because their computers are down. I'm going to go to the International Space Station. 
going to spend my 52 million to launch myself up into space. Uh, there is an international body for the satellites. I can't remember it off the top of my head right now, but there is, there's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of satellites. So we have to know what's going to happen when we launch a new one. Um, how does the ISS avoid debris? Uh, very carefully is the easiest way to say that, but everyone knows where the ISS is. It's, it goes back to Matthew's question of like, where do we, where do we launch satellites? Everything is tracked. Every little piece of space debris is tracked as much as possible. So if there's, you know, something plummeting towards the ISS, they'll move it up. They have little, uh, I guess, retro rockets would be the easiest way to say it. They have little rockets that'll uh, position the ISS because something's, you know, going to smash into it. Pedro, thank you for that applause. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm at 100 stars now. I just made 100 stars. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Pedro. 101. Yes. 102. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, but the, yeah, the ISS has its its own mechanisms to avoid those things. And there's like a mission control, right? So the mission control will be like, okay, there's some stuff that's going to be happening, dudes and ladies up there. So we're going to put you into a different orbit. We're going to push you up a little bit, push you sideways, push you wherever, because space is 3D. So you can move it around wherever you want to move it. And so they just move it around to where it needs to go. And usually that doesn't happen. Usually space debris is pretty controlled and there's not a lot of it. And most of the space debris is actually, um, uh, you know, like old satellites that get decommissioned. And those decommissions usually, in theory, fall back to the earth and burn up. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes they just don't make it back. Or they, you know, something happens to the satellite. And like a little piece falls off or, you know, uh, because of some, you know, like a micrometeorite or something. And those things, you know, something as small as a bullet, you know, something tiny, something like a pebble could rip through the International Space Station because there's really nothing to stop it. Right? It could be going thousands of miles an hour with no resistance because there's no air resistance. It won't slow down until it hits the ISS. That's the only way it'll resist. So it'll go right through the thing and, you know, could possibly kill somebody, could possibly open a hole big enough so, you know, air could escape in that area. And, uh, you know, there's ways for them to, to close off sections. You've seen science fiction movies where they're like, okay, there's a catastrophe and this module, we have to shut it off. That's kind of what happens in the ISS. They have, it's kind of like a submarine, you know, like they have those doors. Similar, not the same though. It's not as clunky. So Pedro, thank you for that follow too. Um, so we are on this topic of space tourism now. Uh, yeah. How crazy is that? So we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but, um, you know, Virgin Galactic can send people up into space just to go check it out. No science, no, nothing like that. You don't have to do anything cool. You just sit in this little cockpit with a, couple other people and 
you just hang out in space for X amount of millions of dollars, you know? And how does ISS and astronaut protect from the sun's intense heat? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm not exactly sure. I think they have not like a sun shade, but I'm pretty sure it positions itself. But I think it has sun blockers too. Let me find this out. ISS protection. Let's find this out for everybody. Staying cool on the ISS. Let's see here. Oh man, this is an old, old article. They have thermal control um, due to insulation. Okay, so they have insulation. So it's like your home, you know, um, multi-layer insulation, reflective silver mesh, the, re the reflective uh, mesh on the insulation. So the sun's rays will come in and heat it up, the, uh, but it'll bounce off. All right, so it's like a mylar, aluminized mylar, they say. Copper-colored material is Kapton, a heavier layer that protects the sheets of fragile mylar, which is usually about 0.3 uh, or three ten thousandths of an inch thick. Hmm. Okay, so that's cool. They have Kevlar. They have shielding. They have redundant bladders, external thermal blankets, internal. Oh, wow. They have a lot of layers that the sun's. Yeah, that's in radiation as well that works with radiation. So this stuff helps uh, the MLI insulation does a double duty job, keeping solar radiation out and keeping the bitter cold of space for penetrating the station's metal skin. Does its work so well that the ISS presents another thermal challenge for engineers dealing with internal temperatures that are always on the rise inside the super insulated orbiting laboratory, fully stocked with many kinds of heat producing instruments. So, it keeps the sun's heat out, but it also keeps your heat and all of the computers and components. All that heat is stuck in the ISS. Uh, heat exchangers. The basic answer to, is to install heat exchangers. Active thermal control system, the ATCS for short, take the heat out of the spacecraft Waste heat is removed in two ways, through cold plates and heat exchangers, both of which are cooled by circulating water. Oh, that's cool. Air and water heat exchangers cool and dehumidify the spacecraft's internal atmosphere. I was actually thinking about the humidity. Like, how humid would it get in there? Because there's... Thanks for those likes, by the way, Charlie. Um, how humid would it get? Because you just have people breathing on each other. Right? The ISS isn't super big. So you just have everybody breathing and and farting on each other so it would probably get really humid you know and just all the other stuff that's going on in there the heat from the instruments and everything else i mean they're not just farting on each other i mean that's pretty <laughs> that's really weird but <laughs> uh without the rotational gravity i'm not sure matthew i think rotational gravity is the best way to do it I'm not, that's not my expertise. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's always good to look this stuff up though. I think that's the best way to do it. Rotational, because that's what I've seen from all the experiments that I've seen people do. And also from sci-fi movies. 
is that you see, you know, the ship is always rotating because they're like, okay, we need to get some gravity. So I think maybe that's the best way. Um, so we're up to 102 stars and 70 likes and five fans. Dude, I just started this, like this live podcast stuff the other night. So I'm really pumped that it's working out. And especially on Livecast, you guys have been really great. And thank you for all the chats, by the way. That's been really awesome to hear from you guys. So how much is it going to cost? So Bigelow is going to send you up in a into the ISS, to the ISS for $52 million per seat. Now let's see uh, how much... How much does it cost for Virgin Galactic seat? 250,000. 90-minute flight, 250,000. So you can go to the ISS for 52 million or Virgin Galactic for 250,000. If you had both of those, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. If you had both of those options available to you, would you go for a short flight, 90-minute flight? And uh, let's see. You know, a 90-minute flight costs 250000 Or would you spend the $54 million and go up to the ISS? If you had both, like, all the money in the world. All the money you would ever need. Never have to worry about it. I would probably... I'd start off, probably, with Virgin Galactic. I'd start off with Virgin Galactic. And then I would be like, okay, I've got a little taste of this. And I think it's really cool. I'd like to dip my toe in. You know, Before I go swimming, I dip my toe in and go like, okay, is this really cold? And if it's really cold, it's going to suck, but I'm going to jump in anyway. So I would probably, I probably do the Virgin Galactic one first and then move on to the ISS, spend my 54 million to go to the ISS. Cause that would be pretty insane. Could you imagine that? There's only a few people that have been to the ISS. Let's find out how many people, how many people. been to the ISS. 220 people from 17 countries have visited the ISS. 220 people. So you could be another one of those people. You could be one of the first 500 people to get to uh, orbit the Earth in the ISS. With your $54 million, of course. So For $54 million, you could be one of the few, one of the proud, one of the astronauts at the ISS. And if you go to the ISS, what would you do? If you're spending spend $54 million, would you do science? Would you spend your time building something amazing? You know, would you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be up there for like a week, right? I'm going to be chilling for a week at the ISS. Am I just going to stare out the window and freak out? Because I would probably do that the first couple of days. Would I just kind of like, I, I don't know what I would do. 
Okay. That's, I think that's what it comes down to. Like, what the hell would I do if I'm in the ISS? I would definitely take in the view. I'd do everything that I could, you know, whatever needed to be done, I would do it. <laughs> worry about the toilet. Yeah. That's the other thing too. I'm sure they would, they would put you through those, those uh, processes before you go up. Like, okay, so this is how uh, you go to the bathroom. This is how you work out because I guess you have to work out a couple hours a day on the ISS to stay, uh, to keep your bones from deteriorating and keep your health up uh, because of the low gravity, you know, the zero gravity up there or microgravity, I should say. So yeah, going to the toilet would be very important. Also keeping yourself in shape. So you got a couple hours to kill there. Um, but then just like, would you do something to better humanity when you're up there? Like, would you do an experiment to, you know, would you give your body, I guess I should say, would you give your body to science afterwards? Would you say, okay, you can study me because I went up to the ISS for a week. Do all the tests you want. Would you let them prick your prick you with all the needles and take blood and do all that stuff? Uh, I don't think they were diapers. Maybe they do. Well, on spacewalks, I'm pretty sure they do. They have, well, they have a system where they clean everything out. Uh, but yeah, that would be pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, think about that. Like if you're up in space and you're floating around, I'm sure it's pretty disgusting up there, you know? No, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's pretty sterile up there. They have to keep it sterile or else the ISS will be uh you know, all this all the science would be ruined, basically, if it was a disgusting mess up there. Uh but I think I think I would do everything in my power to make other people's lives better if I went up there. I'd let them I'd let them poke me with needles and do all sorts of tests on me or whatever, just so I know that the next people that go up will have it better than me. And then, you know, you get to a, you get to a certain spot where like, you're okay, I have 50 more, $54 million dollars could I get a sponsorship? I'm actually, I'm looking for a sponsorship to go to Florida to a, to a rocket launch. I want to go to the rocket launch. That's uh, sending humans back to the international space station from uh, us soil. So what I want to do is uh, find some sponsorships, find some advertisers for this podcast. I already have a couple. Um, and I also do a regular podcast. that's not live by the way, it's called space news pod. And you can check that out on any podcast platform. Um, but yeah, getting down to that launch is my, my major goal for this year. I want to go down to that launch. I want to, I want to see history. And this is one of the things that I'm like, okay, I want to do this for a living. And I already am doing it for a living. I'm making some money doing it because I have some great sponsors that are helping me out already, but I need to make, more money to continue doing this and continue doing these kind of podcasts. So imagine that you get sponsorships from companies when you go to the ISS or when you go on a space travel, you know, 
where you can be an influencer and help people, uh, you know, help companies provide a service to other people that are interested in your story. So mine's pretty silly compared to that. Mine's driving from New York to Florida as opposed to flying to the International Space Station or flying in a Virgin Galactic uh, ship. But would you, quote, sell out? You wouldn't sell out, man. That's that's all garbage. When people say that you're selling out to make money, to do something. When I was younger, I was a skateboarder. Here comes story time. <laughs> I was a skateboarder. You know, I was in the streets. I was a dirty skateboarder. I was hardcore into it. And there was always the people that were like, you know, if you get a corporate sponsorship, you're selling out. Right. These these companies are going to, they're going to, you know, take your soul away or whatever. Because it was an underground thing then. They, there was no Olympics. Um, so, you know, we're going back to the, we're going to the Olympics for the first time in 2020, skateboarding is. So when I was a kid, it was all like dirty punks. And you sell out if you get a corporate sponsorship. People were getting like Monster Energy drink, Red Bull. I remember when sports drinks started coming into the fray. And skateboarders were getting paid like $2 million a year to drink a drink or to have the logo on their shirt. Yeah, of course you're going to do that. If somebody offers you $2 million a year to put a, a logo on your shirt every time you go to a competition, you're going to do that competition anyway. Put that $2 million bucks in the bank because someday you're not going to be able to skate again. If you personally completely change because of a sponsorship, then that's you selling out. If you continue doing the things that you're doing, that you were doing before, and you might have a little bit more of a, of a uh, responsibility to do other things, you know, go do, you know, autograph signings or whatever. That's just part of the job. You know, you, your job is to be an athlete. So, and your job is also to promote the things that are going to give you $2 million. <laughs> Dude, I would do it. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I would, of course, I would say, okay, these are the things that I won't do. But if I need to do this stuff to make that money, because when you get done at the end of the day, after a year, Space News Pod and Flex Tape, see, that's the thing. I won't promote a product that I don't like. I never will. I never will. I'll never do that to my, my fans. I'll never do that to people that listen to this podcast. If somebody wants to advertise on my podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to get whatever they sell, whatever, you know, whatever they're trying to sell, going to make sure that it's okay and that it doesn't suck. And that I would actually use the thing. Gaga piggy. Welcome. I'm new here too. I just started live podcasting a couple days ago. So thank you for checking this out, by the way, this is the most, like this is the biggest turnout I've had yet. So thank you for everybody that's coming by and hanging out. Um, and Welcome. And thank you for that follow. Um, but it comes down to a, a like um, this this business right here. Thank you for the likes too. Um, the business of that whole thing is okay. So I I have some advertisers on this podcast. I actually um, Magellan TV is my newest sponsor. MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. If you want to if you want to check it out, this is a little thing. But that's the disclaimer. 
they make amazing documentaries about space, right? And I actually approached them. I said, hey, I really like your product. I think it's cool. Do you want to be part of this? Because you have to go search people out sometimes when you're new at this. I have 250-ish, 235 episodes of the Space News Pod. That's before it went live three days ago. 250 episodes. I've had sponsors throughout, you know, throughout the time, kind of. And some of them, I was like, okay, I don't know who you are, but let me check it out before I actually agree to it. Because they came to me instead of me going to them. So I had to check them out. And everyone that I've, I've turned people down, I've had to, you know, I'm like, what are you like? If flex tape came to me and said, would you take $2 million per year to promote our product? I have flex tape in the basement. I've used it. It actually works. So flex tape would be one of those things that'd be like, actually, this stuff is really good. It works. It's goofy. Like the commercials are goofy as hell, but I would probably say, okay, give me two mil, dude. I'm down. I'm down. I use this stuff. I actually used it to um, to patch up a a leak that I had. Oh, you changed it? No, I would never change the name. This is mine. That's why podcasting is so cool. I would never. <laughs> oh, to flex tape. So if I like the flex the flex tape uh, or space news pod buy flex tape or something like that. <laughs> I would say. No to flex tape being like, if they're going to do that kind of thing, I would say, give me a ton of money. Like space news pod brought to you by flex tape. You know, hello everybody. This is the space news pod brought to you by flex tape, you know, and it's in the title and everything. I couldn't do that. You know, if they're offering me a ton of money, I'd have to really consider it because at that point, would I be selling out because if, you know, if I go to my bank and I say, okay, I'm going to get two mil dropped in my bank account tomorrow and I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. That's good. Like I'm good for the rest of my life. And all I have to do is change the name a little bit. Two mil will set me up for the rest of my life. I'm good forever. I don't have to work a day again in my life. I'll continue doing the podcast. I love to do it. I'll continue doing exactly what I do now. I just change the name. Yeah, exactly. You got to change the name and then you got to think about that. I would have to think really hard about that because that's life-changing money. That's not like, you know, you never know um, you never know what that could bring you. You know what I'm saying? If I'm making, say if, say if you're making $30,000 a year and you're just getting by, right? And then somebody says, here's $2 million to put a sticker on your car. And all you have to do is drive around with that sticker on your car for two years. And that's it. So it's kind of similar to that, right? It, so it's it's like you still do the same things that you do every day. But you put the sticker on your car. So as opposed to me doing this podcast every day without the sticker of flex tape, I would just have the sticker flex tape on it. That's it. You know, that's all I'd have to do for $2 million or whatever, whatever X amount of money. 
per sponsor. That's all it is. That's what it comes down to. And it's just business. You know, do you want this business to thrive? There'd be limitations. Um, it depends. It depends on what deal you make. You know, you can make a deal. So what kind of limitations are you talking about? Like with a sticker at your car. Okay, keep going. I want to I want to explore this a little bit. This is pretty cool. Because this isn't, a, <laughs> you know, we're kind of getting off the topic of space news, but I think this is an important question that everybody kind of asks themselves. You know, it is for every job that you do. Because I've had tons and tons of corporate crap thrown at me from my actual job. I'm a, um, I was a web developer for 15 years and I just kind of, I got out of it last year because I wanted to do something that I'm passionate about, which is talk to people about space and science and tech. So that's why I started this podcast. You can't be spotted to purchase liquor. Okay. That's fine. I don't really drink anymore. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Back to space talk, please. Andrew, I, I'm almost there with you, man. We'll get back to it in a moment. I like this discussion because it's, this is all part of like, it's, it's a part of humanity as well. So it's like, you got to make these decisions for regular life. And it's part of the tech industry too. You know, will you give up all your time? I spent 12, 13 hours a day, most days when I was a coder, trying to figure out what to do, how to make these codes work, you know, how to make code work and not break stuff. So I gave up a ton of my time to do that. And I lost a lot of stuff, you know, I lost a lot of relationships, lost a lot of uh, life experiences that I could be having by sitting behind a computer and tap, 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 typing away. So that's another thing. It's like, it's the same thing. Like, is that my sponsorship? It's pretty similar. What happened if Walmart or a big name brand decided to sponsor space? What would be the game? So if a, if a sponsor say like a sponsorship for um, a company that's sending something to the surface of the moon, Right. So if they can offset their costs at all by putting a Walmart sticker on a rocket, that's up to their business. You know, how much money is Walmart paying them? How much money can they make in the long run? And also, what's the cost benefit analysis and what is what's the reason? You know, what is the reason of going to space with a Walmart sticker on your rocket? You know, what is Walmart going to do? What are they, what are they giving back? That's my major thing. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you never know. It's like NASCAR, right? NASCAR has all these people. Hey, thanks for, thanks for Winston cigarettes. And thanks for everybody for sponsoring. You know, it's like that. Like there's patches all over the place. Um, I don't know if it'll actually get to that place because I think, you know, I think corporations will eventually get to that point where, they have to offset their costs because there's no way they're going to have millions and millions, you know, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars to send people to Mars. But if we could get sponsorships for those people, can they go to Mars and will it be, you know, financially feasible for these people to go to Mars? 
Money, yeah, well, money's always talked, though, Pedro. Money's always talked. It's not a new thing. You know, money's always been the the uh, catalyst for moving forward as far as capitalism goes. and As far as moving uh, humanity forward, it's always been like, okay, how can we make the most money? What are these things? And let's keep moving with that. Now, speaking of moving, what about... We kind of got a little, well, not a little bit off topic. We got a lot of off topic here with the space talk. So we did some things yesterday. Cornell. And uh, there was like questions about astronomy. How many Earths fit into the sun? Think about that. Our Earth is huge. Oh, it's a, it's okay, Pedro. I like this kind of conversation. I, I really like open conversations like this. I enjoy it. So Earth is huge, right? Earth is almost, it's about 4,000 miles. So you put a 1,000 or a million, sorry, a million Earths would fit into the sun. Sun has a radius of 100 times that of Earth, which means that about 1 million Earths would fit into the sun. A million of Earths. You can't walk around the Earth, man. It's huge. 4,000 miles. What if the Earth rotated twice as fast? <laughs> I've never thought of this. This is crazy. Like these are the kind of things that I would love to learn. And every day I'm, I'm infatuated with these kind of things. What would happen if the earth started to rotate twice as fast as it does now? Um, our lives would be, would definitely change drastically. If the earth started rotating twice as fast, our days would be half as long. So our bodies would have to adapt to a very different sleeping schedule. Animals would also have to adapt to a new way of life. For instance, those that hunt at night would have to become more efficient because they would have fewer dark hours in which to catch their prey. Plants would still be getting the same amount of sunlight to split up into smaller chunks, and uh, they w probably wouldn't have much problem adjusting. Uh, I believe once the animals were able to adapt to drastically new way of life, we would not have trouble with the new schedule as well. So actually doing the adapting would seem quite hard. We'd have to train ourselves to sleep four hours a night instead of eight and eat one to two meals a day just for starters. So everything would be in chunks. We have to chunk things up. Thanks, Richie, for following me, following, following me. There we go. And thanks, everybody, for hanging out, by the way, in the podcast. I appreciate it. This live cast thing is absolutely amazing. I really do like doing this stuff. And even we go off on tangents every once in a while, I think that's important. I think it's important to explore other ideas. Uh, thanks for that follow, Eric. I appreciate it. Let's get back to a couple more questions. Then I got to go and do some 
uh, family stuff. What causes the Aurora? The auroras are caused by changing particles from the solar wind hitting, or charged particles, sorry, from the solar winds hitting atoms in the Earth's upper atmosphere. Okay. The sun emits a stream of electrons and protons called the solar wind, and these particles interact with the Earth's magnetic field and funneled towards the magnetic poles, which is why the aurora are visible at high altitudes. Just a little bit ago, I think it was a month or two ago, the auroras could be seen near the Great Lakes in the United States. I didn't get a chance to check it out. It was over in, I think, Michigan, maybe, somewhere over there in that region. Uh, but it was, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but uh, they were very intense for a little while. And you could see them from uh, down south a little bit more. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? All right, so let's do one more. Let's do one more. That's pretty cool. The Aurora. I like these, you know, science questions at the end. I love it. I do the suns. Uh, let's go back to what would happen if an impact caused Earth to stop rotating? Ooh, that's a lot of stuff. If the Earth's rotation instantly stopped, everything fixed to the Earth would continue to rotate around at the same velocity that they were before due to conservation of momentum. That makes sense. Uh, it would feel like a giant earthquake again, and where the earth would start, like it was just suddenly stop. Just, poof, buildings would collapse. Oceans would wash up onto land in large tidal waves. It's sort of like if you, say if you have a bowl of water, this is a good demonstration of this. You have a bowl of water and you, you, know, you move it back and forth so the water in it splishes and splashes back and forth and then you stop moving the the water stop moving the bowl the water will continue to move because of that sort of uh, momentum that it had before the conservation of momentum so think about that everything that's moving right now would keep moving the earth would stop everything below your feet would stop but everything that's moving would continue to move and seismic waves from the impact would travel through the earth, causing massive earthquakes, depending on the size and velocity of the impactor. And it actually might break the earth apart. So <laughs> th these are like catastrophic, crazy things, but it is possible. You know, there are giant rocks out there that hit other planets. They're, they're just fly through space on some sort of trajectory that we have no idea about. And someday, maybe one of them will smash into earth. Another thing that can happen, much of the atmosphere would be boiled off. A fireball would expand outward, destroying material in its path and polluting the rest of the atmosphere. So uh, the dinosaurs died off because of something like this, possibly. That's what they think. That's what scientists have thought for a while. On a retrograde rotating planet, the sun and all the stars would rise in the west and set in the east. Okay, so if we were magically able to stop the Earth with no bad consequences, life on a non-rotating or retrograde backwards rotating planet would be very strange. On a retrograde rotating planet, the sun and all the stars would rise in the west and set in the east. If the rotation was very slow, the day could be very long. This would have a huge effect on plant and animal life on Earth, and some of which could not survive many days with no sunlight. 
So basically, everything that's moving would continue to move. Everything that's already kind of planted down, uh, it would be it would pretty much stay there. If we were smushed by a something or other, whatever it is, a giant rock that would stop the Earth in its tracks. So, okay, I'm going to call it for today, everyone. I want to say thank you to everybody for hanging out. I really do appreciate it. You are all amazing. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend it here with me on Space News Live. I'm going to be doing these every day. So if you like conversations like this, make sure to follow because I'm going to be doing this every day. And we can have conversations that are kind of weird. Charlie, thanks for that follow. Kind of deep. Sometimes we'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. You know, maybe we'll talk about space sponsorships uh, around the same time. Yeah, noon Eastern is about the right time. Yeah, they are. They're always there's stuff all around us. Yeah. Um, oh, the how ISS and satellites keep from falling to Earth. The, exactly. They're they're falling towards Earth, but they actually they have thrusters that keep them above Earth too. They're in an orbit that they're actually falling towards Earth and they have to readjust every once in a while to make sure that they don't fall into Earth. The gravity is still pulling them down. Like the Earth gravity is still pulling them down, but they have little rockets that'll every once in a while move them up just enough so they don't fall back in. So yeah, this has been really fun, guys. Thanks, Pedro, for those stars. I appreciate it. Uh, anybody else who's giving me stars. Thank you. You're helping me follow my dreams. This is my job now. This is what I do for a living. I do my podcast, uh, Space News Pod. If you want to go check that out, I'm going to send you this link. That's spacenewspod.com. That has some links to go check out the podcast and podcast platforms. Uh, you can also check it out on CastBox, of course, and on Livecast here. Anytime you want. Come check it out. Um, but that one, the spacenewspod.com, that's the 10-minute hit. Like, that's the quickie for the day. 10 minutes of science and space every single day. And this one, uh, I'm not going to edit this down. I'm going to do a different one for the actual Space News Pod. So there will be a different podcast episode for that one. Uh, but, yeah, thank you guys for all the, all the help today. We have 102 stars now. We're working on 10,000 stars. We're working on getting me to uh, a rocket launch. So I want to say thanks again. And my friends, I'll see you tomorrow about the same time, about noon Eastern. So I will see you then. Have a good day and happy Sunday, everyone.